Las Vegas, famous, fabulous playground of the West. A wide open town that never goes to sleep. Vegas! Vegas, baby, Vegas! You're either in or you're out. Right now. My best mates are going to Las Vegas this weekend. I'm told it's incredible. Las Vegas, here we go! Pack your bags and get ready. You're going to Vegas with people who know Vegas. You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. Welcome to Vegas. You know, these days, there are not a lot of entertainment options in town. The headliners are waiting for the COVID crisis to end, and a lot of local shows have been put on hold. But that said, there are still great entertainers you can see now. For example, you can see the wonderful singer Rosanna Telford at Chianti Restaurant, and you'll meet her in just a few moments. Later on in the show, our good friends Mark Gundell and Linda Moore drop by to discuss their newly released single, I Miss Tennessee. And our ensemble of regulars are here, too. Food and drink are covered. Gourmet chef Justin Wells talks about kitchen equipment, while barbecue master Mike Ross gives us a tip to kick up our next cookout. Finally, America's first master sommelier, Eddie Osterlin, is here to talk about tasting wine and food. Michael Shackelford, the Wizard of Odds, is with us to talk about making a career out of blackjack. And your Vegas art guru, Pawn Star's own Brett Maley, talks about what makes fine art, fine art. And on the Sports and Tours, noted author Sean Assail talks about the life and Las Vegas times of Sonny Liston. First up, your Vegas insider, Scott Robin of VitalVegas.com. You know Scott, he hates sports. But he even has to say the new Raiders facility, known as Allegiant Stadium, is pretty spectacular. A lot of really cool things happening. I mean, even you, who's not a sports person, you seem pretty excited by what they've done inside there. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I may never set foot inside, but I can be excited for other people. And I am excited for anything new uh, and exciting in Vegas. So. Uh, this arena is remarkable, the stadium. And now they're starting to do, um, they're actually building out the shelf that sits outside the, uh, the stadium that will have natural grass and will be rolled in for the Raiders games. And so when it's rolled out, they have to, they're also building uh, the field for UNLV. What does it stand for? University of something. <laughs> Nevada, Las Vegas. Las Vegas. Uh, yes. Whatever. And uh, so, yeah, then, so I've gotten some pictures of them putting that field together. It'll be moved out of the way. And it's, I mean, it's pretty amazing technology. Uh, it looks very intimate for whatever reason. I mean, it's about tens of thousands of seats, but it doesn't look like there's a bad seat in the house. Uh, and, of course, I'm very interested in the bars and the lounges. And I think it's kind of a... Um, you know, they, I get the feeling they're going to have a sense of humor, too, because I saw this kitschy, giant painting of uh, none other than Wayne Newton dressed in a football uniform, looking like he was going to throw throw the pigskin or whatever they call it. Uh, so I think there's some cheeky stuff in there, and I think there's a nod to history. Uh, there's a giant torch, and they are, they are experimenting with it and testing it uh, against the, the memorial. Al Davis Memorial Torch. Yeah, the Eternal uh, Flame. Uh, Yeah, they had one in Oakland, too. Well, it's big and it's beautiful, and I love new things. There's going to be a ton of bars, a ton of lounges, and probably a lot of sports. But I think it's big for Vegas. Uh, A lot of people are – a lot of hopes are riding on that 
that stadium, I, you know, there, there were a lot of questions even before the shutdown as to whether sports could do it, uh, whether conventions could do it, because visitation was flat for a couple of years. The jury is still out. And it's interesting because even though the NFL has said they will have a season, there's a chance the season might start without fans. So that would be a very strange turn of events. But people are going to get their Las Vegas Raiders one way or the other. And it's uh, something new for the folks of Las Vegas and elsewhere to kind of rally around uh, to help with the recovery. Well, thanks, Scott. Don't forget to visit VitalVegas.com every day. You can also follow Scott on Twitter at VitalVegas. What do you do if you're a singer in Vegas? You need a place to perform in a semi-closed town, and then you hurt your foot. Well, that could stop a lot of folks, but not our guest, Rosanna Telford. I'm COVID-19 has been tough on Las Vegas. There's no question about it, particularly in the world of entertainment. It's just been a killer. For some of the people around town, things have changed. We want to talk to one of those great singers and entertainers, Rosanna Telford. Now, Rosanna, tell us, I know you were involved in singing and so forth. This thing hits and suddenly there's no place to play. Well, first of all, Steve, hello. Good morning, and thank you so much for having me on your show. It's a real pleasure, and thank you for remembering me. Because, yes, after everything went down, all the entertainers, we feel like everyone has forgotten us. Oh, my gosh. But, yes, as soon as – actually, my birthday was in March, and my, sh- my last show at the restaurant where I was singing, that was the last show, and then they closed up the next day. Oh, it's just a cure. Yeah. And I know your uh, your children are entertainers, too, not in Las Vegas. But has the same thing affected them? Yes, very much so. Um, my daughter, well, she lives in L.A. She's uh, She works more like online, and she does a, a lot of stuff on Spotify. She was actually in a concert in Sweden in December, late December, uh, January around there when things are starting when you know when they were starting to say okay borders are going to start to close up just in case blah 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 all this so she, we were afraid she might be stuck over there but she was able to fly around and come around I don't know through where um, but she was able to get back to the states um, but oh, my God. son was it was in Paris so he's he was there anyway. Mm-hmm. More with Rosanna Telford in just a moment. Let's check in now with the Wizard of Odds, Michael Shackelford. When you think of blackjack, you think of statistics. There are people, there's been movies about it, books about it, of how you can beat it with teams. And I remember buying one of those books thinking, this will be great. And after I got done, I go, this is just too much work. So what do you tell somebody like that? I mean, can can the person that's not going to make a career out of this really do kind of some basic things? And is there some, some things we can do with blackjack to get a little bit of an edge back? For anyone who has seen the movie 21 or Rain Man and is thinking about making a living counting cards, don't. Don't even entertain that path. Require, making a living counting cards is really difficult now because the the casinos know what to look for 
And even if it, even if the conditions were still good, like say they were in the 80s or 90s, it's the kind of thing where you need a lot of money to make a little money. It's not as easy as it sounds, and it's not like you're making money hand over fist like like in the movie 21. It is a huge roller coaster, and only after months of play do you see that that roller coaster goes up at a at a upward trajectory, but the ups and downs are crazy compared to that gradual increase. Yeah, I remember in that book, one of the things the guy said was, there were days where you'd lose 50, 60,000 and you kind of just have to walk away. You don't get upset about it, just like you don't get that excited when you win because it's one of those things over time. Does that apply to most of the games in Las Vegas or, you know, any casinos in around the world? Absolutely. To be a professional gambler in any game, you have to have an iron stomach and be able to take those ups and downs and not let it affect you, not go on tilt. You have to trust in the math and and just keep trusting an edge if you have an edge. And if it's something like poker or sports betting where the odds are not absolutely quantifiable, if you're losing a lot of money, then maybe you should analyze what you're doing and consider that maybe you don't have an advantage. Thanks, Michael. We'll be back with singer Rosanna Telford, along with tips from Chef Justin Wells and barbecue master Mike Ross in just a moment. You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Manchie. Hi, I'm Gordy Brown, and you're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. To re-emerge stronger and safer than ever, ask yourself these crucial questions. Should all restaurants, retailers, and venues have new safety and sanitation procedures in place? As a business owner, how can you assure your valued guests that proper protocols are being followed? How can you give your guests confidence knowing that you've prioritized their health and safety? Introducing VirusSafe Pro, a revolutionary mobile technology software that provides checklists, reminders, and confirmations to help your team perform health and safety measures right on schedule. It allows you to close the information gap in the workplace by giving your employees a dedicated source of credible instructions in a timely manner, right from their mobile devices. Validate compliance with health and wellness standards, provide regular safety and health messaging, and confirm that approved protocols have been performed all in real time and an easy to read dashboard. Tracking and verifying health and safety procedures in your business has never been more important. To learn more about how VirusSafe Pro can help you reopen, visit VirusSafePro.com. Want to fly somewhere? Looking for cheap flights or cheap tickets? Then call. That's right. Call the low-cost airline travel hotline now for prices so low, we can't publish them anywhere. Low-cost airlines has all kinds of cheap travel deals. Fly domestically and save up to 75%. You can even fly internationally and save even more. Yes, fly anywhere in the world and save a lot of money on your plane tickets. We'll even save you money with cheap travel deals on hotels, rental cars, even complete travel packages. So don't book your tickets until you call us first for the absolute cheapest prices on U.S. and international airline tickets and hotels. Call right now for prices so low they can't be published. Travel experts are here 24-7 to help. 800-296-1337. 800-296-1337. 800-296-1337. That's 800-296-1337. 
Welcome back to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. Chef Justin Wells has been helping you set up your own gourmet kitchens. This week, Chef Wells looks at one of the most important tools that every chef must master. You mentioned knives, and I think that's kind of interesting. So is that like a baseball player, like Babe Ruth, like the big handle bat, and somebody else like a smaller bat? Is it the same way with knives? Yeah, of course. And I think, um, and, and again, it's how big is your hand? How strong are you? How often are you working? I mean, I'm, when I work with a knife for 10 hours a day, that's a lot different than what you're going to use at home. And I tend to not love a super razor-sharp knife. Um, I, like, I like them sharp, but I don't want them to be... You know, there's a fascination with knives that you can shave with, and to me, all that means is when I make a mistake, I'm going to the hospital. <laughs> right. Um, and so people are always often surprised when they hand me a knife that's just brutally sharp, and I'm almost intimidated to use it, and I tend to slow way down and be a lot more careful than I would with something that's like, okay, I might cut my hand, but I'm not going to, like, take my finger off. So, again, it's preference, and, and I like Japanese handles, I like smaller knives, which is sort of odd given my size. Um, I tend to work with 8-inch chef's knives. Um, The big 12 don't really appeal to me, but I know a lot of people tend to like bigger knives. Does that Um, give you more flexibility? Yeah, it gives me a lot more flexibility, and I find that earlier on in my career, I'd get a knife bag out, and I'd have six or eight different knives that I'd cycle through for different projects, and now I find that it just... It gives me a lot more freedom just having something that's a little bit smaller, a little bit, you know, narrower. Um, I can use it as a fish knife or prep vegetables, things like that. Thanks, Chef. Let's get back now to our conversation with Vegas entertainer Rosanna Telford. I think of you every morning. Dream. And if people see you, you should go on YouTube and uh, you look up Rosanna Telford, T-E-L-F-O-R-D, and you can see you move a lot up on stage. You know, I mean, you're you're fun to That's watch. That's the <laughs> thing. That's the thing. And the show's going to be at Chianti's at the restaurant um, that, you know, we're trying to help promote the one that closed down, but it's open now. You know, it's been open. It's been doing... Um, uh, deliveries and stuff like that, but they are open to, to to the public, and it's I'm going to be on a like on a sofa, and it's going to be the first time I'm going to be not moving, so people will actually be able to see me still. Oh, that's terrific! And you know, Chianti, I, you, you laugh at that, but uh, you remember Vegas with all these shows all over town. Chianti's one of the great places to go because it's a place you can actually see entertainment. I mean, I know Rob Garrett has done things over there and so forth. It's kind of nice. Thank God we have Chianti's, a place we can actually see live entertainment. Yes. Yeah. We, we need to socialize. And they do take precautions. The, you know, the tables are a certain distance, and the bar area is closed, and the food is wonderful. Just in case if anyone is, you know, has a pencil or paper, it's 4275 South Durango Drive. Yeah, that's not okay. that far from the Strip. I, listen, I'm a very improv person. I have no idea what's going to happen. So we don't know. I love to improvise uh, things. Usually they come out pretty good. Uh, lately, I've been very funny. I don't know. I, I think I've found a new vocation. I might be a comic, and I didn't know. 
So, yeah. uh, <laughs> well, you know, you're you're an entertainer. You know, you have a good sense of humor, and you kind of go with it. And I think, uh, especially in these days, you kind of have to do that. Yes, that's very true. You you just have to go along with. You you have no idea how many times I have sung a song and I've totally forgotten the lyrics. Totally. Yeah, you know, that is interesting because I always wonder, what do you do? I mean, as a kid, I always remember this moment, Roger Miller, where he was singing King of the Road and about uh-huh. halfway through and he goes, I and I forgot the words. But is it something, especially because you sing a number of different types of songs, right? It's not just, you know, the same set every single day, day after oh, day. Oh, no, no, no. No, no, no. If you, you ask any singer, they, I don't know, I guess we have this part of our brain is special in the sense that we can we have files in there that we can put away all these songs and then it's like riding a bicycle you know <laughs> you suddenly you, you remember and the words come out sometimes i guess your foot gets stuck in the wheel or something and and it doesn't come out it is kind of terrifying at the beginning because you know some people really do know the words of the song and you can see the the look in their faces when like okay <laughs> she forgot the song and then i'll go like i saw you i saw you you know the words okay i forgot him i'm sorry happens sometimes it can happen to anybody so it yeah can but it, whether she remembers the words or not it is well worth a trip to see rosanna telford great entertainer rosanna thank you so much for being with us it is a lot of fun and best of luck and hopefully we can see you all the time as part of a complete lineup of entertainment across the town well, let's hope and, and pray to God that everything, not not that everything gets back to normal. I hope everything gets better. I hope us as human beings, we were better than what we were before. And we learned to take care of this planet a lot better than we used to. And I just hope everyone is safe and well. And thank you so much for having me on, on the show. And uh, I wish you all the best and, and God bless. Time now to talk about outdoor cooking and smoking with barbecue master Mike Ross of Jesse Ray's Barbecue. Today, we discuss something that, in the world of barbecue anyway, is similar to frosting on a cake. I am a big fan of, like, you get ribs with, like you say, just that glaze. And if it's really good, you don't need to even add any more. So with that in mind, how do you teach me as the uh, person that's waiting to fly out to Vegas can't do it? How do you teach me, what do you recommend to get that kind of glaze on my ribs? Yeah, so um, it's it's really really not hard at all. Um, So after after you're done cooking your ribs and you have a nice good rack, they're just coming off the grill. I turn my smoker off, and then I mix my favorite barbecue sauce, which is obviously my God sauce, which uh, we'll be sending out nationwide. We'll have to talk about that later on on, in the future. But um, the God sauce, and then uh, what I do is I mix a little bit of honey and a little bit of uh, melted butter in the sauce. And I mix that up, and then we just pour it on the ribs. And then put a little uh, tinfoil tent so that it... uh, and uh, over and no heat. Let it sit for about 20 minutes. Now, what happens is that butter and the honey will start to coagulate again and get harder, and you get this delicious, sticky, gooey uh, uh, glaze. 
and that it's absolutely amazing. Once that, once that butter and that honey harden up a little bit on those ribs in that sauce, then it creates a great effect. Thanks, Mike. Don't forget, if you're in Vegas or are headed here, make sure to visit Jesse Ray's. If you mention Vegas Never Sleeps, they take 15% off of your bill. This is what we all call winning big in Vegas. Coming up, more with Mark Gundell and Linda Moore, and visits with America's first master sommelier, Eddie Osterlin, and Pawn Stars, Brett Maley, your Vegas art guru. Don't forget, all our shows are archived on our website, VegasNeverSleeps.com. You can also listen on SoundCloud, iTunes, and more. You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. Let's welcome now America's first master sommelier, Eddie Osterlin, who today talks about a different way to experience wine. You know, we had a fun situation together. Eddie and I were out, and he goes, here, try this. And it was really bitter. I didn't like it at all. I don't even remember what it was. But you go, here, have a little bit of food with it. And I can't say I loved it, but it certainly was way better with the food in the mouth at the same time than it was alone. Listen, the best wines that go with food are a little bit acidic, okay? It's like squeezing, imagine squeezing lemon juice on your fish. You do that. Why? Because your mother told you when you're eight years old, try this, Steve. And you liked it and you never did. Well, the wine should be, again, a stunt double for the lemon with the acid. But think about this. Um, you wouldn't squeeze a lemon in your mouth. That's not fun. But if you put the lemon on the fish, on some salmon, and you eat it together, they work. Well, I get people to realize that wines that are a little bit acidic and maybe not your, your favorite wine when you sip it by itself, all of a sudden, imagine that that wine is like a knife blade and really sharp. And you put the fish across the edge of that knife blade, you dull the edge. So the food dulls the sharpness of the wine, and the wine's sharpness amplifies the flavors of the food only if you put them in your mouth at the same time. And it's really, when people look at me and go, you want me to taste them together? And I go, precisely. And they look back at me like, really? I go, try it. You know, try them separately and try them together. And bang, light bulbs go off. And that's where the fun comes in. Thanks, Ed. Speaking of great Las Vegas entertainment, one of the great local acts is back with us once again. Mark and Dell and Linda Moore, who have recently released a brand new single, I Miss Tennessee. I miss Tennessee Where the hills are so Well, they're back, and we're happy about that. Linda Moore and Mark Stephen Gindel. Mark and Linda are one of our favorite regular guests, and they got a song out, which is really exciting to me. All of a sudden, you know, you do a lot of great covers for things, but I saw an original song called I Miss Tennessee. Tell us what brought that about. I know it was part of a special project. Well, yeah, it turned out to be part of a special project, but I actually had the song idea for a while. You know, I'm from Nashville, Tennessee, lived in Vegas for 15 years. But, you know, I miss my home state, like most people do. And one day I was just thinking to myself, you know, I miss Tennessee. And when I said it to myself, 
I'm, I also was Miss Tennessee years and years and years, decades and decades ago. Uh, and so it was kind of like I was saying, I'm Miss Tennessee and I'm Miss Tennessee at the same time. And I thought, well, that's kind of a fun idea. And maybe I'll write a song about that. And, uh, so I, you know, I had the idea and I wrote it over, you know, a few weeks, uh, just believe it or not, when I was out jogging. Really? Just, uh, yeah. I mean, everybody writes songs differently, but I was not like sitting, down one day going, okay, I'm going to write a song. I was basically, I had the idea for the song, but then when I went out jogging, I started getting lyric ideas in my mind, and then I would come home from my jog, and I would jot down a chord. Over a success, succession of several jogs, I finished the song, and then, but I never had time to record it, Stephen, because as you know, Mark and I are very busy in Las Vegas performing in casinos and lounges and doing, you know, mostly cover music. Um, I never had time to record it, and then this opportunity came along. It was a project called The Quarantine Project, headed up by one of the best jazz musicians in the United States. His name is Tony Guerrero, based out of California, and he had the idea to put together an album called The Quarantine Project of songwriters, you know, doing their thing during the pandemic, during the lockdown. You know, we were asked to be on that project, and wow, you know, it turned out to be perfect because... We're doing doing nothing for yeah. <laughs> obviously for a couple of months, right? Well, it must so, drive the two of you crazy because you guys you have the boot company, you're doing acts all over town, you're into a million different things. Did this really uh, must hurt? Because I know you enjoy going out. Both of you enjoy going out and playing all over town. And boy, you just pointed out how, how busy we are. I mean, most people have had quite a quite a relaxing time with the quarantine situation, but we really got we really got down. We kind of redid the house. We've been working at the boot. Uh, at the boot uh, warehouse and uh, oddly enough shipping some orders we've been redoing our stock so we stayed really busy and we we got busy producing the song and we shot a video for it as well wow what a great way to spend um you know the isolation you know we we really took advantage of that time that we don't normally get and you know writing and recording has been a really huge part of linda's and my um past we lived in new york and we wrote and recorded for warner music uh, for many years and um, Linda and I've been lucky along the way we've had some stuff placed in TV and major motion pictures but maybe we're, we'll, we'll get somewhere with this one we've got an incredible response on this one I even have people writing in, in Facebook and on YouTube that it sounds like a hit so let's cross our fingers you know it was so much fun going through some of the videos you have out there and what I realize is you guys have been around a while how do you not get older I mean I look at these pictures you know she was Miss Tennessee it was a while ago and, <laughs> and boy I thought you you two are rockers I thought you're supposed to get like Keith Richard where you look a thousand I you guys have done the opposite <laughs> you, you, you know how we don't get older you know we visit we visited Egypt one time and we found this river called denial <laughs> <laughs> well you're doing a pretty good job of it well you guys you take like are you guys are crazy with the really good eating and uh, you're, you're big into a healthy lifestyle aren't you oh yeah and that's that's a huge huge part of it it's really not in my genes I mean people that think I look a lot younger than I am they say you know you must have good genes I mean honestly my my brothers don't look as young as I do. But, I mean, I I just really take good care of myself. I mean, it's really been pretty good clean living. I mean, I'm not never been a smoker, never a heavy drinker. I mean, I have the occasional glass of wine. But, you know, never take prescription drugs, um, you know, exercise all the time, and mostly vegetarian diet most of my life. And 
And, you know, we're both entertainers and, you know, we, we know all the tricks of making ourselves look <laughs> good. <laughs> you know what I mean? Thanks, Linda. Thanks, Mark. Listen to the new single, I Miss Tennessee, on YouTube. You can also listen to all of their music on YouTube as well. Just enter their names in the search box. Time now to welcome back the art appraiser from Pawn Stars, your Vegas art expert, Brett Maley. You know, you talk about pop art, and one question that comes up is, who decides what's art and what's not? I mean, how does that kind of go? Is it something where the community gets together? Is it simply a matter of uh, demand and, you know, supply and demand or what? What what makes art popular? Exactly. You know, and uh, it's, yeah, it, it is a lot of supply and demand. It's the trends of the time. Gosh, just in the, you know, I'm 45 years old and I remember, you know, in the 80s and early 90s, you know, those those Red Skelton clowns were everywhere, you know, and they were very popular. Uh, in the 80s, you know, you had uh, Nagel with those real stylized deco girls. You had Airte and, and you know, those trends kind of come and go. I remember in the 90s, you know, uh, limited edition prints by Southwestern artists were doing well, well Beverly Doolittle, and you're exactly right. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's a product of the time. It's a product of, you know, uh, what's popular. That's kind of why we've segued here at Art Encounter towards the masters, artists that kind of transcend, you know, the trends and just the, the you know, uh, those quickie little, uh, you know, uh, bouts of popularity. These are artists that have stood the test of time that are going to be collectible long after you and I are gone and their, their lineage is secure. Thanks, Brett. And don't forget to visit Brett's incredible gallery in Vegas, Art Encounter. And through the end of the month, Art Encounter is offering 25% off of all framing services. Just remember to mention Vegas Never Sleeps. Up next, this week's edition of the Sports Rock and Tours. And the topic is a Vegas legend, boxer Sonny Liston. You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. <laughs> Medicare rules are confusing. They should be. There are over 130,000 pages of regulations. There's Part A through D, Medicare Advantage, and Medigap. According to the CMS, there are government programs available that can help you pay for your medical expenses. Choosing the right Medicare plan is a really big deal. The wrong choice can cost you a lot of money, and the right choice can put more money in your pocket. Call one of our licensed representatives today. At 65 Plus Medicare, our free service can show 
show you a plan that will maximize your Medicare benefits, ensure you are taking advantage of all available government assistance programs, and save you money. Plus, call right now and get a free report on how to avoid costly Medicare mistakes. Call now. 800-253-8126. That's 800-253-8126. Now, let's return to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. Welcome to the Sports Rock on Tours. You know, all sports stories aren't necessarily happy or even inspirational. Some are downright sad. Today, distinguished author Sean Assail joins us to discuss a Las Vegas legend. Well, if you're familiar with the great Muhammad Ali's career, I'm sure you've heard the name Sonny Liston. And if you were around at that time, Sonny Liston was a really famous guy and a real depressing story. Died a tragic death, don't know quite what happened until now. There's a great book out called The Murder of Sonny Liston, Las Vegas Heroin and Heavyweights by our guest uh, Sean Assale. And Sean is a fantastic writer. If you've read him, he's on the ESPN, the magazine. He's been with them since they started. He's also part of that great uh, show Outside the Lines, which you can see on ESPN as well. And, of course, the show's about Las Vegas, but this couldn't be more Las Vegas. And Sean... Sonny Liston, you know, I'm so glad you wrote about it. This is really a depressing figure in history and a guy that has been uh, really had a question mark around his name uh, going back to the 1960s. Yeah, I mean, you know, for people who love boxing, um, you know, Sonny Liston was an electric fighter. He had the, the, the biggest left jab in the sport. He was just a, a monstrous fighter. And, um, you know, his two fl- fights with Floyd Patterson, both, both won in the first rounds, and his two fights with Muhammad Ali, bought, both lost under suspicious circumstances, made him a lightning rod for boxing. He was also seen as somebody who was a tool of the mob, uh, first in St. Louis and in Philadelphia in the 50s and 60s. Um, you know, Sonny Lewis was such a lightning rod that um, when he first fought Patterson, JFK, John F. Kennedy, suggested that Patterson find somebody of, quote-unquote, higher moral character. <laughs> so it's, it's Sonny, at his height, was a, a worldwide icon. But when we meet him in the book in 1970, which we know he doesn't, is the last year of his life, um, we see a much different Sonny, one who's been hounded out of boxing, is, is now fighting for, for chump change, uh, and is dealing drugs, quite frankly, out of the International Hotel, working for a, a local gang and, um, you know, in his spare time, trying to break into action movies and, and dating a junkie cocktail waitress on the side. So we meet Sonny uh, at the same time we meet Las Vegas in 1970, and those two stories very much in the book work in parallel, Steve. Getting to Liston's whole career, when he lost to Ali and so forth, it was sort of the same thing as when George Foreman lost to Ali. Obviously, though, they went in totally different directions. George Foreman ended up getting the title back and is kind of a national hero now, where this poor guy's career just sank as far as it could. And and, and yet, before he fought that fight, weren't they afraid that he could kill somebody in the ring? He was so good. Oh, I mean, there was. Look, I mean, there, in his Golden Glove days, um, one of his uh, one of his coaches said he could floor a water buffalo. I mean, Sonny was a, Sonny was menacing in in no small part um, because of his left jab, but also because he had eyes with dead reckoning in them. As, as I write in the book, he was a menacing slab of manhood, immutable, impossible, impervious. So you know, Sonny Liston was the most 
feared, and this is, this is no joke, he was the most feared African-American in America in his time. Um, to say he was like Foreman, though, misses, I think, one, forgive me, one central fact. George Foreman was never seen as a tool of organized crime. There were never hearings where George Foreman was sworn in and made to say under oath that he had renounced his mafia backers. That was all stuff that had made Sonny both a, 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 a incredible figure in the ring, but also in, in you know, the headlines. No, I agree with you. I, all I meant was that Foreman was kind of a sullen guy at the time, and they thought he was, you know, kind of a miserable guy. And again, it's tough to go ahead and fight Ali. There's all that whole PR thing. But there's so much more to list in here, like you say, with these mob connections. But let's also talk about Las Vegas, which I think, yeah. you know, you're, you're signing the book at the Mob Museum. It's a whole other world now. The 1970s, it isn't quite the same place that it is today. Well, what really fascinated me, and I'll, and I'll tell you how I reported that book. Somebody might say, well, look, you're a, a native New Yorker. You work for ESPN in Bristol, Connecticut. What business do you have writing about Las Vegas in 1970? Well, I'll tell you, Steve, libraries are still great places. And the, UN, uh, the UNLV Library sent the Las Vegas Sun from 1970, as well as the Review Journal, to New York, to the New York Public Library for me. My wife went there every day for, for six weeks, copied every single word out of every single newspaper that was relevant to what we were doing. At night, she'd come home, we'd talk as if we were living in Las Vegas in 1970. We knew the politicians, we knew the, the crooks, we knew the names of the cops. We really felt like we were living in that time. And what that allows me to do is recreate Las Vegas in that era when Howard Hughes was running his empire from the penthouse of the Desert Inn and Elvis was playing, you know, the, the showroom at the International. Obviously, at that point, too, the mob still had their fingers in things. You know, it's not like today where it's all big corporations and so forth. And, and that's what just makes the story so fascinating. One of the reviews of this book have been great, and one of them that I really like was they compared it to, like, The Wire and Chinatown, and it reads like that. And that's what's fascinating about it. So, Let's bring people back to the 70s. So we talk Las Vegas, a different place. Liston's involved there, right? I mean, this is where he kind of ended up in his career. How did he get on the strip and so forth, and what was he doing? You know, what's, what's, what's really magical, I think, about, about what we found was that there was a Las Vegas, and I write about this extensively, um, it was two worlds, right? It was the luminous world of the Strip. But I spend a lot of time in the book talking about the west side of Las Vegas, which, you know, in its day was, was this, this wonderful world created out of the, the tragic fact that African Americans weren't allowed on the Strip. Um, there was, as I quote, one of the first African-American police officers saying there was a uh, epithet that cops would write whenever they arrested an African-American. And it was called NOS, which stood for, you know, epithet on the strip. And Sonny bridged the white and black worlds of Las Vegas like nobody I'd come across. He lived in Paradise Palms, which, as you, you know, everybody well knows, is that neighborhood initially created for casino executives and, and their stars. Um, winding streets, the illusion of suburbia in the 24-hour city. But at night, Sonny would go to the West Side, which, when we meet him and we meet the city in 1970, is a, is a devastated place. There are race riots, um, and, and we see Sonny very much bridging those two worlds. He's able to be at the International, and people are asking him for autographs, and he's very much a star in the manner of, of um, Joe Lewis. But at night, we see a different Sonny, and it's a Sonny that harkens back to his, his early criminal days in St. Louis. It's just a fascinating juxtaposition, Steve. Because people only remember back uh, the post-Ali days and stuff, they think of 
Liston just basically is a thug. Well, he certainly was involved in that world, but he was much more than that. Like you say, he was actually popular on the strip with some of the big players. Uh, he had celebrity and so forth. So he kind of played both sides of the strip. And I think what's incredible in this is this story, if it isn't interesting enough, you've got President Nixon involved in the FBI and so forth. What was all that about? I just, every time this story took another turn on me, I just got so excited because I realized, you know, Sonny Liston is holding this book together. He's the central character. But there's so many things that are circling around him. Yes, Richard Nixon, his presidency in in tatters, Vietnam protests breaking out all over the country. What does he do to, 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 to create a win for himself somewhere, creates his war on drugs? He's now going to become America's law and order president. He's fighting the drug scourge. He's authorizing undercover investigations left and right. And who gets caught up in one of those undercover drug investigations? You get it. Sonny Liston. It's incredible how many places Sonny runs through this story. You get to, you get to see in Hollywood the making of some of the, uh, the biggest black exploitation movies. Why? Yes, again, Sonny Liston is now in Hollywood trying to break into the acting world. Um, you know, you, you, you read about all the, the politics of the day, the Las Vegas politics of the day. One of the big stories is, uh, I think, the, a long-forgotten sheriff's race between Ralph Lamb and, and um, a, a, a local lieutenant named John Sleeper. Yet, crazily, that looms large in my story. Uh, you see band leaders, you see um, you know, street figures, you see big-time casino executives. They're all, I try to draw them all vividly for you. Yeah, and it reads like a wild novel, but in reality, it, it really happened. You know? and people I promise have to you, realize Steve, I, have, I every word of it is true. Every word of it is true. And where, where, I, where I quote people's recollections, you'll, you'll see in the book, I don't want to give too much of it away, but you'll see a quite, uh, a quite vivid scene of Sonny doing drugs. It's writ exactly from the interview notes of the person who did it with Sonny. So for those who think, oh, this, this seems all made up, I promise you not a word of it is. Thanks, Sean. You can read the complete story of Liston in Sean Sales' book, The Murder of Sonny Liston, a story of fame, heroin, boxing, and Las Vegas. Starting next week, the Sports Rockin' Tour becomes its own half-hour show, the second half of Vegas Never Sleeps. What with the slowdown in Vegas, there's actually less for us to cover here, and while live sport is still taking a nap, the great stories from the world of sports are here to share by some of the best storytellers in America. And if you have a sports story you'd like us to share, please contact me at steven at vegasneversleeps.com. Thank you for listening today, and don't forget to follow us on all social media platforms, including Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. This is Stephen Manchie reminding you to join us once again at Vegas Never Sleeps, where you can take a little Vegas home with you. Vegas, here we go!